Well, we're going to go ahead uh, and continue on with our series of who we are as a church. And as you guys know, I think what are the last seven weeks we've been going over different points of who we are as a church, what our culture is here at Living Hope Family Church. My wife's sneaking out the front blowing kisses at me. See, that's what happens when beautiful women walk in front of the door blowing kisses. I get distracted. Hallelujah. But we're going to go ahead and continue on with our, uh, our discussion of who we are as a church. And last week, we began to talk about the kind of the three main tenets, our, our, our plan, our vision statement as a church, and that's to evangelize, to equip, and to empower. So evangelization is to share the gospel with those who have never heard. We want to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ, and we want to win them to the Lord. But it doesn't just stop there, because truthfully, the church is pretty good at making converts, but we don't want to just make converts. We want to get people plugged in, living a life. Life that is plugged into Jesus Christ, that they are serving, that they are loving, and that they're actually having real change in their life and not just an emotional moment one day. So after we share the gospel with them, we want to equip them and then teach them about who they are in Christ, to teach them about the word, to prepare them for their ministry. And then finally, we want to empower them to step out into the ministry that God has called them to. So last week, we, we dealt with the equipping and the empowering. But today, I want to talk about the evangelization part, the part about that we are a people who share the gospel at Living Hope Family Church. And the truth is, is I could have named this message any number of titles. One of them that I thought about is, we're a people who love. And one of them I thought about is, we're a people with a heart for the lost. But really, what we're going to talk about today encompasses all of those things. And the truth is, is that as Christians, with all that's happening in the world today, sometimes it's, it's difficult to love people. Anybody ever felt like that? You look at what the people are doing, and, 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 and some people are just doing some awful things. And it's, they're doing some disgusting things, and we're wondering, how, how could we possibly love those people? God, you're calling us to love them, but don't you see what they're doing? How can we love people that would treat women and children the way that some people treat women and children? How could we love people that are doing those awful things? You know, and we look out and we hear these things, we see these things, particularly globally, and we're like, man, the, the, the people overseas, the, the terrorists and the, a lot of the Islamic terrorists, they're doing awful things. But the truth is, is we're not immune to disgusting people here in the United States either. We've got plenty of people doing dumb things. But the truth is, is we're still called to love them. We're still called to minister the gospel to them. The truth is, if you ever want to see those things stop, they're going to have to know Jesus. Jesus is the only answer to those things. You want to see a government that has better Christian values? Then start voting for Christians. And then start going ahead and, and let's, let's make sure that the people that are in office, let's share the gospel with them. If we get them all saved, we're not going to have to worry about the laws they're creating because the laws they're creating are going to be honoring to God. Amen? There was a news story uh, not too long ago about a, a landlord who found the skeletal remains of a young boy. Uh, he was three years old in a toy box in the, cl- in the house that uh, he was cleaning up after he evicted the tenants of the house. And what had happened was is these parents, so-called parents, had put their child in a toy box and they, they essentially starved him to death. And the question, how can we love people like that? I was just hearing a story the other day about a couple who got arrested and charged with child abuse. And when they rescued the toddler, the young, the young child, the child actually thought its name was Idiot. 
You know, there's all kinds of disgusting things that are going around, and we wonder how can we love people like that? And it's a hard thing to do because some people just aren't lovable. But the truth is, is that our love for people isn't based on who they are or what they've done. It's not based on if they're lovable. It's based on how God sees them, and God still loves them. Now, don't get me wrong. God does not excuse what they do. That's, that's just not the case. But he still loves them, and he wants something better for them. And we should see people like God does. I mean, it doesn't just stop there. I mean, story after story, how many school shootings have we had? And it's easy to be upset. And the truth is, righteous anger, there's nothing wrong with being angry at that stuff. We have to remember it's the, it's the sin, it's the, it's the corruption that we hate, not the people. We should be praying for those people to have their lives touched by God. And then the reality is, is today's society is just continuing to push God away. They don't want to let God into anything. They don't want him in the schools. They don't want him in the government. We're getting to a point where, where they don't even want him in your life. How can we, or why should we care about a society that acts like that? And the simple answer is just because we were commanded to. Because God still loves them. And then some of you, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, you might be having this verse come to mind. Matthew 7, 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And like, see, God doesn't want us to tell people about that. But the truth is, what God's talking about, what the Bible is talking about right there, is when you're ministering to somebody and they're rejecting you, to not keep wasting your time trying to minister to them. But it doesn't mean to stop praying for them. It doesn't mean to not wait for an opportunity because there may be a point where they're not going to turn you away, that they're going to listen. And then there are even those in this life that would just assume see us hurt. They would assume just see us cursed. How do you forgive people like that? How do you love people like that? The truth is, it's not easy but we're still to do so. And if you want to get to that point, you're going to have to spend time learning how God sees these people. But I think as a church, we need to make sure that that's the idea that we have in our head, that that's the stance that we take, is that we love everybody. We love them all. You know, people will ask, do you let homosexuals come to this church? Sure. We allow all kinds of sinners into this church. But we love them enough to try to not let them stay where they're at. We're going to share the gospel with them. We're going to try to let them understand who they are in Christ, that really that they're free from all of that stuff. But we, we love them, and that's the idea. We love the people. Anybody's welcome here. We want to share God's love with them. And the truth is, as a, as a church, we have to make sure that that's our attitude going forward always. There's a book that's called Becoming a Contagious Christian. It's a great book. We've actually gone through it during uh, our weekly studies uh, here. But one of the things that the, and the author discusses, he said, over the last few years, businesses have begun to realize they can't continue doing things the way that they've been doing them. They have to start recognizing the value of their customers. They have to realize the only reason for their existence is for their customers, and they have to make them their priority. If you want to succeed in business, that's what you have to do nowadays. And I think that as a church that we really should be doing the same thing because it's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. We're not here to serve ourselves. 
We don't come to church to be entertained. We don't come to church to be amused. We come to church to be equipped because there is a host of people out there in this world that don't know Jesus. They don't have the same hope that we have. They don't understand the love of a father who would love them no matter what. They think that I'm unlovable. There's Why would God want me? Does he know the things that I've done? And the truth is that he does. And the truth is we've all done in this room, have done some pretty rough stuff. But God still loves us. What if somebody would have gave up on us? What if somebody would have decided not to share with us? Where would we be today? The truth is, though, that as a church, that's our priority, but I recognize that it's not always easy. And I think the the number one reason why we have difficulty overcoming the obstacles for that is because we don't have a, a clear revelation of how valuable these people really are. You know, once there was this man who walked into a restroom and he started to use the bathroom and all of a sudden, out of his pocket fell a $5 bill into the toilet, into the urinal. And the guy next to him says, well, what are you going to do now? So he reached back and he pulled out his wallet, he grabbed a 50 and he threw a 50 in the toilet too. And the guy says, what'd you do that for? He says, well, I wasn't going to reach in there for $5. The truth is, is that if we realize that people are infinitely valuable, then we'll be willing to do some some crazy stuff to make sure that they hear about God's love. Amen? If we understood that, we'd be willing to do anything to make sure that they're called home. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, this is the first thing we have to get our head wrapped around is we're not called to make converts. We are called to make disciples. We are called to, to, to help teach people to walk like we walk, to get them involved, to get them to have a relationship, to be more than someone that said yes, and nothing ever changed in their life. And the truth is, is that Jesus has given us the authority to do so. Jesus has all authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. That means that you're going in the name of Jesus, that you have the same authority that he has. Jesus gets his authority from God. And then if Jesus gives us that authority, that means that we have authority from God as well to go out and to make disciples. And Jesus, when he went out, he exercised his authority to teach. He exercised his authority to heal. He exercised his authority to cast out demons. He exercised his authority to forgive sins. Now we can do the first three. We can't forgive sins, but we do have the authority to proclaim the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Because those sins are already forgiven. So we have the authority to do those things. To go out and heal in the name of Jesus. To make disciples. To teach to lift people up, to encourage them. Because that's what Jesus did, and he gave us his authority. And we need to make disciples. And being a disciple, the best way to describe it, in my opinion, is it's kind of like being an apprentice. Because when, when you go to, to uh, an apprentice goes to get a job, if they're going to be an electrician or a carpenter or whatever, to be an apprentice, they come in, and they don't know anything. But what do they do? They work with those, the journeymen. They work with the, the higher up so that they can be taught, that they can be trained. And what is the ultimate goal at that point, really? 
Is the idea so that you can be an apprentice for the rest of your life? No, they're to be trained, to be equipped, so they can go ahead and do the very same thing. But this is for us to do, to go out and make disciples. Amen? And this wasn't just for the apostles. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we can make as we see that Jesus is talking to his apostles and one, oh, that was just for the apostles to do, not for everybody else. Or maybe we think, no, this was, it's just for the leaders. It's the pastor's job to go out and evangelize the law or the evangelists, the teachers. It's not, it's not us out here in the congregation. I want you to know that you guys are all called to evangelize the lost. You guys are all called to preach to the lost. If nothing else, you should be preaching to yourself. But we're all called to do so, and it's, it's, it's what we see in, in, in the Scriptures as well. You guys, we talked about this a little bit a week or a week or two ago, but Acts 6, 2 through 6 says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of, of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicolaus, and the proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. So this is the start. These people, the seven that they picked, they weren't pastors. They weren't teachers. They weren't preachers. They were, com- they were apprentices. They were coming in. They were being trained. They said, you know what? It's not good for the apostles to do that because we have greater responsibility than doing these things. We have to teach. We have to encourage. We have to uh, exhort. We have to do all these things. So these guys stepped up and began to work. But they didn't stay apprentices. And when I talk about this, this is not just for the apostles because we see it demonstrated in the Scriptures. Let me read you Acts 7-8. through It says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, the guy we just talked about, serving tables, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Because he went out into the, in the authority of Jesus Christ. He was doing great signs. He was doing great miracles. And then Philip in Acts 8, 4 through 6, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. This is another guy. He was just an apprentice. He was just working with the disciples. He was serving tables. He started out doing the menial tasks that nobody wanted to do. How many know that that there was probably not many people volunteering for that job? But he stepped up and said, I'm going to serve. And these seven men, they served, and then they didn't stay there. They walked out under the authority of Jesus. They began to preach the word of God. They began to make disciples. They began to do signs and wonders. Because they went out in the authority of Jesus Christ. And church, that is what we're called to do. We're not called to just show up on Sunday and warm a seat. I can get seat warmers to do that. We're called to serve the kingdom of God. We have a responsibility to share the gospel with others. Amen? And we don't go out alone. Like I said, we go out in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's scary to get out there and we think that how are we going to do this? How are we going to face these obstacles? How are we going to be effective? But Jesus Christ has given you power to do those things. 
In Acts 1.8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. First, know that you're going to receive power. You're not doing this alone. If you try to do this in your own, in your own power, in your own flesh, then sure, you're going to fail. You're going to face obstacles. But if you do this in the power of Jesus Christ, if you trust him and let him work through you, you're still going to face obstacles. You're still going to face opposition. But the truth is, is that he will help you get through anything that comes your way. He will be with you. Because the scripture says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he says that we receive this power because we're to be witnesses A witness is simply someone who recounts what they've seen. It's not very difficult. We're to be witnesses. You're to recount what you've seen. You wonder, how how can you share with somebody? How can you tell them about Jesus Christ? Especially when they think, in this day and age, so many people think you're crazy for believing what you've believed. Begin to tell them about what God's done in your life. For me personally, I can tell them, you know what? I used to smoke two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. And the quitting was the hardest thing I ever did, but because of Jesus Christ in my life, I was able to get through that. I can tell them that my marriage was falling apart. My wife was on the verge of leaving. I didn't even know. But when we began to serve Jesus with all of our hearts, then my marriage strengthened. It became strong again. And I I believe that I have the strongest marriage in this room. If you don't believe me, just ask me. And then we, we, we ended up filing for bankruptcy many years ago because we just weren't good with money. We didn't care. I don't, all kinds of stupid things. But it's funny because we began to, to give our lives to Jesus. We began to tithe faithfully. We gave faithfully every month, even when it didn't make any sense. And now God has blessed us with amazing jobs. We have plenty of money. We're able to do the things that we're not able to do. And the best part about it is, is we're able to help people quite often because god has blessed us and people can say no there's no god this stuff is crazy and i can say no it's not i've I've watched him work in my life and i'll say how do you know that you're saved and i'll say because i was there when it happened you can tell people you can be a witness to what god has done for crying out loud (laughs) no laughing in the front row We can be witnesses to what God is doing in our lives. We can share that with people. Your testimony can be very effective at at getting people to be open to receiving the gospel. Now, your testimony is not going to save anybody. Only Jesus Christ can do that. But it'll give you the opportunity to invite them to church. It'll give you the opportunity to begin to share the word of God with them, and faith will build in their hearts, and they can receive the, the, the free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. But it's your testimony, it's you being a witness that helps you do that. And our responsibility at being witnesses is actually pretty great because it says, first you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now you've got to remember that he's talking to the disciples at this point, and they're all in Jerusalem. This is the city that they're in. So that means that for us, that's, that's us being, uh, we need to be responsible for the people that live in Marana. It is our responsibility to share the gospel, to be witnesses to the people that live in That's our city. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and in all Judea and Samaria. So if you think about what's going on then, this is the region that they're in. For us, it would be maybe our state or our country. So guess what? You're responsible for sharing with the people in Marana. 
but you're also responsible for sharing and being witnesses for the people in Arizona and the United States. And if you didn't think that was enough, he says, and to all the end of the earth. Everywhere we go, we should be being a witness. And we're responsible for sharing this with not just, uh, not just us. Around. That's what we do personally, right? We share around us personally because we can speak and we have relationships with people. And we can say, they say, you're crazy. There's no way God's doing that. And they say, you used to know me in high school. How can you not see a difference? But we also have greater responsibilities. And that's where uh, missions come in. That's why we support Pastor Jack Harris in Kurdistan of Iraq. That's why we, we did support for the work that's being done for the, the refugees, the Sumerian refugees in, in Germany. Because we believe that we can make a difference more than just here. Make sure the gospel is being preached and being witnesses. Amen? The truth is is that we may not personally touch everybody, but our sphere of influence is actually pretty great. And the reality is is that it's when you begin to, to share with somebody, you never know who they're going to share with. And then who those people they've shared with will share. You could have an exponential influence on the kingdom of heaven just by leading one person to Christ. And that is our responsibility. 2 Timothy 4.5 says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, I'll be honest with you. I have a tough time with evangelism. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been a pastor for uh, four and a half years. Actually, I was operating in a pastoral role and was ordained in my old church for probably, I've been a pastor for six or seven years, and I still have problems sometimes speaking to people about Jesus. I am not an evangelist. I've seen some people, they have such charisma. They've been touched by God, and they're just able to walk into a room with a bunch of people that hate God, and by the time they leave, everybody there got saved. There's people that I, you guys, uh, Will Speaks, who was here for that concert we had that long, not too long ago. He's got a personality. He's an evangelist. I am not an evangelist. Many of you are going right now, well, that's not my gifting either, Pastor Wayne. I'll leave that up to the evangelists. Paul's talking to Timothy here. He says, first, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was not an evangelist. He was like me. He's like, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm good at that. I'm not an evangelist. But Paul says, that's fine. Do the work of an evangelist. The truth is, is that's the call on all of our life. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. I remember the frustration when I used to work. Uh, I used to work at Applebee's a long time ago uh, when I was much younger. I was... Uh, a, uh, I forget what it was called, but it was essentially hourly management. I forget what the title was. But I used to remember asking people to do stuff, and they would give me the, it's not my job remark. And that frustrated me so much because it doesn't have to be your job to do something. You don't have to be an evangelist to evangelize. You don't have to be a pastor to preach to somebody. And you don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be in, in Sunday school teaching the kids back there to teach somebody. We can do those things, and we're called to do those things. So we're to be sober-minded. That means we're to take it seriously. This isn't something that's, that's a joke. This isn't something that's to be taken flippantly. I want you to know that people's eternities are on the line. That should drive us to do anything more than anything else, knowing is that, that 
these people may not have another chance if I don't share. Am I the last one that's going to speak to them? Are they going to miss it? And then he says, endure suffering. That means it might get tough. That means it might get hard. That might, means we might face some opposition. But the truth is, in the United States, the worst opposition that we're going to get is the, uh, uh, you know, people might tease us. You know, at least you're not over in the Middle East where if you proclaim Christ, you're going to get your head cut off. The truth is, in the United States, we just have first world problems. You know, the, the enduring for us is like, oh, my phone's going dead, but my charger's all the way in the other room. Like, oh, I want to change the channel, but the remote's all the way over there. That's our suffering. That's our enduring. Man, I really want to eat these chips, but when I, when I chew them, I can't hear the TV. I mean, stuff is tough here in the United States. Timothy had seen Paul go through some tough stuff. Timothy's been walking with Paul for quite a while. You know what? Paul's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. I mean, they left him for dead, stoned at one point. He got back up, and what do you think he did? Did he run away? He got back up and went preaching in the same city that they just, as far as they were concerned, killed him. He endured suffering because he thought it was worth it that people would hear the gospel. Amen? 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of my of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering of the gospel by the power of God. We should never be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. We should never be ashamed to share our faith with people. Because the truth is, is that's what could very well save them. It could have been your testimony, even if you don't see it right then. You can say that I've shared with so many people, but I get no response. The truth is, is you could be planting the seed that will one day grow into them receiving Jesus Christ. You could have made a difference, but if you don't share, then there's no possibility of that. And then finally, after he told him to do the work of an evangelist, he said, fulfill your ministry. How do you fulfill your ministry? It's actually quite simple. You be obedient to the calling of God in your life, and you just keep moving forward. Amen? And Jesus is the one that actually sets our example for this. So Jesus said to them, this is John 5.19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Do you know that Jesus is perfect theology? You know, there's so many people that talk about God works in mysterious ways. And we just can't understand what God's doing. But the truth is, is that He has been revealed to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. We go, God works in mysterious ways. Maybe God just wanted me to be sick. Well, did you ever see Jesus one time not heal somebody? It was always Jesus' will to heal people that came to him for healing. Because that is the will of God. He says, I can only do what the Father, what I see the Father doing. Not one time did he send them away. Not one time did he say they weren't good. Matter of fact, the only people that Jesus actually ever dealt super harshly with were the people that proclaimed to be religious, but they really weren't. They were just being hypocrites. But we know that whatever we see Jesus doing, that that is the will of the Father. That is what he wants us to be doing. And he's not working in mysterious ways. He's, he's expressed his will in his Son. And we can look at Jesus' life on earth and see how God actually feels for us. Are you, are you curious to how God thinks about you? Well, he, Jesus healed everybody who came to him. He never laid down any rules from the, them to abide by. He never laid down any requirements. He said, if you come to me, 
I will give you rest if you come to me. And when they came, he healed them. And the only thing he ever said to anybody that came to him was, go and sin no more. But that wasn't a requirement for what he did. He told them afterwards, after he did what he did, say, go and sin no more. That should have been a response to what Jesus was doing for them. And he never turned anybody away, even the lepers, the people that he couldn't touch because he was a Jewish man or he'd become unclean. He still communicated with them. He still prayed for them. He still healed them. And I remember the, one of the craziest stories that I think of in the Bible is when they tore up that dude's house, the roof. They ripped the roof off. And I've, I've been doing some research about that recently. Apparently what those, those roofs were was, was basically poop and mud and everything else that they, they, they caked the top of the roof of, and they dug through that. I mean, Jesus is down there preaching. All of a sudden, poop and dirt starts falling on top of everybody. I mean, sometimes we've got to get messy when we want to make sure people get touched by God. And they'd tear a hole through this guy's roof. And if I was the homeowner, I'd be like, Jesus, did you see what they just did? They just ripped a hole. I mean, this is going to cost me so much to fix. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I see your faith. He says, I see your faith. And he heals the man. And then Jesus actually cared about how people felt. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, you guys know the story, but to keep it short, he, 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 wasn't, he didn't have an aha moment and go, I'm going to heal Lazarus. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he'd be raising Lazarus. He actually waited a few more days in the city that he was at to make sure that Lazarus was good and dead. The King James Version said when they opened the tomb that he stinketh. He was dead. He was rotting. But Jesus raised him from the That was the plan. But it still said Jesus wept. He was still upset because, not because of Lazarus, he knew what was going to happen with him, but because the people around him were hurting because they didn't know. Jesus cared about them. And this is the same attitude that we should have in our hearts for the people around us, that we should be living like Jesus, growing to the measure and the stature that is Jesus Christ. We should see people and love them, even if they're unclean, even if they're unlovely or unlovable. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul implored us to imitate Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So let's imitate Jesus when we interact with the world. Amen? Matthew 9.36-38 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. That's how we should feel, by the way. Have compassion for the people around us. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The truth is, is that there's a world of people out there that are ready and waiting to hear the gospel. They're ready to hear it. Some of them don't know it. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But they're wandering around aimlessly. They have no hope. They have no love. They're, they're walking around just completely discouraged. And they feel like that nothing is going for them. But the truth is, is that God still loves them. God still has a plan and a purpose for their life. And Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. And I know that seems strange because half the time it seems like everybody I talk to doesn't want to hear anything about, about Jesus. But the scripture says the harvest is plentiful. 
There's plenty of people out there that want to hear the word. And if we don't talk to anybody because we're afraid of a few that might reject us, and by the way, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. If we're afraid of that, then how many will we miss? You know, one of the things that God has been working on me recently over the last few years is, is when I was younger, I, uh, I, I was coming out of Walmart. I lived in Sierra Vista, and I was coming out of Walmart, and there was this man that was on the side of the road, and he was begging for money. You know, and I was, I was uh, feeling especially altruistic at that point. You know, it's funny, back then I'd look at what was going on. When I gave, it was, even when I gave people stuff, it was for me. So I felt better. But I gave him five bucks, you know, I thought I was doing my good deed for the day. And then I went to work that night. I worked at Denny's at the time. And if you guys have seen most Denny's, they have an open kitchen. So from the kitchen, I can see out. And there was a bar uh, where people could sit and eat. And the guy came in that day, same guy. And ordered the most expensive thing on the menu, a steak and shrimp. And then he tipped the, the server incredibly well as well. And I was so frustrated because I felt like I had been taken advantage of. Now, I don't know the guy's story, truthfully. This could have been the only time he ever did it. He finally just wanted to have a good meal. But I remember being frustrated because he could have took that money that I gave him and made it last a whole lot longer than paying for a third of a meal. And from that point forward, like I didn't want to give any, any, any people that were begging for money money. I didn't want to do it at all because I felt like I had been taken advantage of. But over the past few years, God has been, really been working on my heart. And whenever I hear God tell me to give, I give without even questioning it. Even sometimes when I, I feel like that maybe I shouldn't be. Because the reality is, is at this point in my life, I would rather give money to to 10 people that don't need it to make sure that I get the one that does than to not give to anybody and miss the one that actually needed my help. And the same is true when we're sharing the gospel. I would rather share with 10 people who are going to reject me, who are never going to receive it to make sure I don't miss the one that might because that one life is important. Amen? John 4.35 says, Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You know, this is the, the hard one to, to come to grips with because I look out and I, I see, it feels like nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Nobody wants to, to hear about the love of Christ. And they're consistently rejecting us. But the reality is, is that that's who I was once. I was ripe for harvest, but I continued to reject. I continued to, to push. I continued to disregard what God was trying to do in my life. It didn't seem like I was ready for harvest, but I truly was. And it took some time till I finally fully gave my life to the Lord. The reality, church, is, is that the fields are white for harvest. We just have to lift up our eyes and look and get out into the fields. Going back to where we just were, Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Has anybody been praying for that? That people would, would, would come and go out into his, his, to the mission field, to the harvest field? Have you prayed for that? I'm going to tell you right now that if you do pray for that, the first, the first answer you're going to get, the first one that God says, all right, I'm going to send somebody, it's going to be you. You stand up and answer the call and go out into the harvest field. Share your faith. Tell people about the love of Christ. People are hungry for the love of Jesus. 
And there are many things that may stand in their way. They're worried about what other people are going to think. They might think that you're a little bit crazy. They might think all kinds of things, but the truth is they're still hungry. Live your life as a Christian. Be faithful. Let them see what God's doing in your life. That's how you'll be effective, and they'll eventually come and listen to what you have to say. You'll be able to share your testimony. As long as you're living it out, living how God called you to live, living holy, because, not because you're trying to earn favor with God, but because of what He's already done inside of you. And then you'll be effective. You know what's not effective, though, is saying that, yeah, God has freed me from drinking. And they're like, but you just went to the bar with us last night. Live the life that God has called you to live. And you will be an influence to the people around you. And you'll see that it's white under harvest. It's ready to get picked. And the truth is, is, is this is one that I think here in Arizona we can understand because we have cotton fields everywhere, especially up by where I live. And you can tell when they're ready to harvest because the whole field goes white. We get it. That's what, that's what the Scripture says that they look like right now. They're ready. They're hungry. And they're hurting. And they're broken. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels that we can share with them and make an impact in their lives. Amen. And God cares about them all, even the ones that, that you think might not be worthy. In Luke 13, 6-9, it says, He told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should not bear fruit next year, we'll go, well, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. I think this is speaking to those people that we were just talking about. We share the gospel with them and we're like, God, you know, what's going on here? Why, they just won't receive. Should I give up? Should I stop inviting people? Should I stop praying for them? It's just like every time I talk to them, they, they turn their back on me or it's very hit and miss. These are the ones that he's talking about right here. The truth is, is that we're going to see friends. We're going to see family that we're going to share with. We're going to tell them about what God's doing in our life and they just don't want to hear it. They're just going to reject us. They're just going to push it away. But I'm telling you, church, don't give up on them. Don't give up. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because there are people out there that need to hear the gospel. And he's, he's being slow about coming back so that they all have the opportunity to hear. They all have the opportunity to be saved. And this story, the vine dresser argues for more time. And that's what we should be arguing, more time. I remember one time we were at a youth conference many years ago, and uh, it was an amazing time, and one of the preachers got up there, and he just preached an amazing sermon and like seemed like the entire crowd got up to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. I mean, his preaching was so effective, half of those kids had already received Jesus before, but they went up again. Just to, but they got up there, and then I heard somebody say, said, man, I wish Jesus would come back right now so that we all these kids would make it in right now. And I remember in my heart just being saddened by that phrase because I'm like, but what about all the people that haven't heard yet? You know, the truth is, is I want Jesus to come back. But it's only going to happen when we do our job. And I don't want him to come back sooner than everybody has an opportunity. 
Because everybody is valuable. Everybody is worthy of, of the love of God. Because He has said they're worthy. Amen? In Luke 15, 3-7, it says, So we told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays out on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. This is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. This is a picture of, of what goes on when, when just that one is found. And Jesus is saying, don't you guys get it that every single one of them are valuable? Matter of fact, for all the ones that are saved, we're going to step away from them for a moment to go get the one that is lost. We want to bring them. They're valuable. And when he gets them in, it doesn't matter how dirty and how messed up they are. There's rejoicing. He says he calls all of his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the sheep that was lost. There is not a person in this world that is not valuable to God. There's not a person in this community that we should not take the time to share with them. We should never make a judgment based on how they look, where they live, what they're doing. Because God loves them. At the end of that verse in verse seven or that scripture in verse seven it says, Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. When people come home, there is rejoicing in heaven. That's why we make such a big deal about it here. That's why we want to share with them, and that's why we encourage people and we're excited when people give their lives, that's why we clap. Because we're so happy. They've come to know the love of Christ, that they've come home, that they've been adopted in as sons and daughters into the kingdom of heaven. And if you're having trouble understanding sheep because, you know, sheep doesn't make any sense in our society, like we haven't had livestock for who knows how long. The only, the only livestock we know about is the stuff that's already in the grocery stores. <laughs> I once heard a, a lady come on the radio and she says, you know, all these hunters or just awful. I mean, I can't believe that they're going out there and they're killing these, these animals. Why can't they just go to the grocery store where it's already ready for them? I think she kind of missed the point. But we don't get that. Some of these, these references in the Bible we have to really think through because we don't have livestock. What do you mean going to receive a sheep? That doesn't make any sense. But here's one we can all relate to. In Luke 5, 8, 15, 8 through 10, it says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now we get money. You know, somebody looks down and they're missing a 20 out of their wallet. They're searching, where did it fall out? Is it in my purse? Did it fall out in the car somewhere? Kids, get in here. Who took my money? We're looking for We're trying to figure it out. I remember, like, have you guys ever gone in and pulled out a jacket you haven't worn in a long time and you reach in the pocket and you're like, I left a 20 in here. And it's just like the best day ever. And you find money that you've lost. There was a Christmas a few years ago that, that uh, all my gift cards and my money that I had gotten, I've been put, I was putting into one envelope. And I went ahead and stuck it up on the tr- back on the tree. It was all in one place. And it disappeared. We put the tree away. It was gone. We, I have no idea where that money is. And I looked all over for it. 
And the funny thing is, it had about 150 bucks in it total. It wasn't a, an incredibly large amount of money. You know, in the scheme of things, in the scheme of the amount of money that I'll make over my lifetime, or even in a single year, $150 is really not that big of a deal. But you, you bet your butt I went and tore the house apart looking for that. I was in there digging in the garbage can, you know, looking through all the, I wanted to find that money. See, we get money, that makes sense. And the same is true. And it says that there's joy before the angels of God when one sinner repents. You know, if we just understood how valuable people were, you would have to hold us back. I mean, we would have to be restrained from sharing the gospel if we really understood how valuable people were. And we'll go ahead and end here today. Romans 10, 11 through 15. It says, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jews, Greek, the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, the the gift of salvation has been offered to everybody who walks this earth. And there's no distinction. Here he says, between Jew and Greek, he's bestowing riches on them all. But I want to say it doesn't even start stop there. It doesn't matter where they work, if they're white collar or they're blue collar. It doesn't matter which political party they're associated with. It doesn't matter the things that they've done in their lives. It doesn't matter if they're... Can, they're, they're participating in, in grievous sin every single day. God still loves them. The truth is, and you guys have heard me say it many times before, if they're not a Christian, quit being shocked that they're living in sin. They're not Christians. What do you expect? But instead, let's share the gospel with them. Let's tell them about the love that Christ has for them. And we don't reject them based on what they're doing. We, we, we let them enter in. We welcome them. We show them love. Because they're worth it. And the truth is, is that if we don't share it with them, who's going to? How are they going to hear without someone preaching? Amen? That's who we are as a church. We're a people who share the gospel because it's, in, it's important to God. It's important to us. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Mm. Hallelujah. I want to just remind you once again as we've talked about this, you know, sharing the gospel with others. And I get it. Sometimes it's tough to share with people. And that's okay. Just invite them to church. Get them here. We'll share the gospel with them. And, uh, you know, it's important to make it easy. Like I said, grab a stack of these, your invited cards on the way out. And uh, let's get some people saved. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.